Hello and welcome to the Peach Black Podcast, which is all about the game of entrepreneurship. If the peach represents the highlight reel that we all tell on a daily basis as entrepreneurs, the Instagram to our reality. The black represents the stories and lessons of this game that are usually left in the dark. I am your host, Charlie Regis. I'm the co-founder and global business development director of the digital product studio, Peach Studios. And today we are joined by a multi-award winning founder and dragon slayer, Janavelli. He is the founder and CEO of the world's most trusted footwear and fashion care range, Liquid Proof. They have one of the best-selling products on Amazon.co.uk in 2016, and he's received one of the largest single investments in Dragon's Den history. In this episode, we cover how the art of cold calls shaped his early success as a founder, how to adopt a growth mindset, and the power of your story as a young startup. Jana Veli, thank you so much for joining us here on Peach Black. How are you doing in this crazy moment in history that we're finding ourselves in right now? You know what? I'm doing good, man. I'm, I think, as you say, it is a moment that we will remember for a long time. And a, an interesting thing that I've been asking a few of my clients is essentially asking them, you know, during this time, as a leader, and you look back, what will your team think of your leadership? Very interesting. I think everybody's trying to make micro adjustments, right? I think before we start making big bets and there's gonna to have to be some big bets made around what verticals are we really gonna to push towards? How are we gonna manage the team? Are we gonna try and scale back? Are we gonna try and keep everybody fed as much as possible if we can ride the storm, you know? Um, and I think it's, it's coming to the time now where we're about to start making some bets. So. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a really interesting time. Um, we're going to cycle back to this in more detail. Um, I want to kick things off by getting a taste for how it all really started for you. Not necessarily this entrepreneurial journey, but the entrepreneurial way of thinking. You know, what was your first experience of thinking like an entrepreneur and, and getting involved at a very early stage? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I love this question. So I think for me, let's play the whole back at school secondary but even primary school for me was you know I didn't grow up with 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 too much um, and my mom and dad were weren't ones to give me any sort of pocket money so I essentially anything that I wanted I saw the other kids playing with or rolling you know they're wearing a nice t-shirt or some nice trainers I had to go out and earn that money myself to buy the things that I wanted my mum said to me from a very young age, if you want something, work for it. So first entrepreneurial guess, hustle. Back then it's definitely, <laughs> it's all definitely a, hustle. a hustle. Everything's a hustle. That's it. So I used to go and I had the biggest paper round in the town, which probably didn't do me any good for my back. But back then I was slugging around um, newspapers and a little trick there for, I don't know if they still do it. Are they still delivering newspapers this day and age? I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> Saving trees. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, you know, this is, you know, this is before um, the internet really hit scale. But uh, we, I used to deliver newspapers around the town and you would get more money if you put in advertising leaflets. So I was like, not only did I have the biggest round, I would make sure that that newspaper was 
packed full of leaflets, Stats. like literally every <laughs> single page. This, this paper used to be like this thick, and imagine yeah. like four hundred of them. Oh, it was it was a terrible time, but that definitely started to mean that I could earn some money and buy the things that I wanted. I then there was a craze back in the day when uh, Tamagotchis. Um, oh that, man, do you remember them things? Oh, I used to, I went deep on one Tamagotchi one time. I lost it and I felt like I lost a family member. It was terrible. It was worse than losing my dog. It was bad times, man. <laughs> That's it. You have to feed this thing. But oh, it was crazy. But anyway, I uh, I wanted one, so no, I didn't go out and buy one. It's a classic entrepreneurial thing. I went and went and bought five, six, and I sold them on to my friends at a markup. So my one was free. <laughs> It's a, I, th- I think the development of a relationship between working hard, yes, but being able to be in control of your financial destiny at a very early age shapes you very well for dipping your toes into this entrepreneurial world, you know? The, the relationship sure. between just being able to make decisions and having outcomes that are positive and being able to go and buy your own stuff and having a bit of freedom. And something that, you know, you're looking around in your peers, you know, something that they might not necessarily have, not something that they're earning by themselves anyway. And I think that is so powerful in laying some seeds that then go on and bloom into something that, that becomes a forest later on. It's very cool. Sure. Um, so you go from there, this early entrepreneurial mindset. And to an extent, I'm surprised that you went into quite a scientific degree at university. Why, why was that the, the transition? They seem polar opposites to me. Yeah, and I think that's probably the reason why I didn't stick at it in the end. <laughs> For me, I loved, through school, I really loved science. I love biology, chemistry. I love how figuring out how things work. Um, and science, animals, and the environment, really, sh- I just was really passionate about it. So for me, I heard that um, pharmaceutical science was something that I could progress in, take essentially knuckle down and understand how a whole industry kind of works it's it's kind of developing new treatments to cure things or prescription drugs so that quite interested me but you also learn a lot more about the batch processing and manufacturing of the pills and stuff rather than just the chemical formulations so for me i, I got stuck in and uh, did it for a year and i as you say they were opposite ends of the spectrum. And for me, sitting in a laboratory wearing a white coat and some clear goggles weren't, <laughs> didn't fit right for me. I stuck it out. Wasn't for your a swag? Year. No, it definitely wasn't. And I decided after a year during that summer break that um, I was in de- like, I was in an incredible amount of debt by that point, as you do as a student. And my friends around me were, uh, a lot of my friends when I was younger were tradesmen, like they were on the on the tools. So carpenters, elect- electricians, plumbers, they were making money straight straight out of college. So by the time I'd done a year of university, they you know, they were driving around in really nice cars. Some of them were putting deposits down on the house. And I was in thousands of pounds worth of debt, not really enjoying it, and rolling around in a white apron and some goggles. I was like, this is not for me. So I had to go back and... You know, tail between my legs to my family and say, look, I've I made a decision there. I'm, I'm considering leaving university. I'm going to go and get a job and a career. And Okay, that's I can imagine that being a similar type of lunge to then going, 
full-time on a project. I don't want to quite go there yet, but explain to me the, the internal conversations that you're having around, okay, I feel like I've made a mistake. I need to take control of my medium to long-term future because this is not just the three years, four years that I'm going to be studying this degree. You know, if I do come out of this, I'm then going to be expected to go into the system and at least dip my toes in for a couple of years, right? So you're talking about a six-year swing here and the ability just to say, no, I'm making the call, I'm done, I'm pursuing something else. Is It takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of belief in yourself that you can explore something else and become successful quickly in that. Yeah, Charlie, you're right. So these internal conversations I was having at the time were, do I want to, it's going to be a long-term thing. I'm going to have to stick this out. Yeah, six, seven, eight, ten years before um, I'm even started to be recognized within the industry. And even before perhaps paying off my debt. So I had to think long and hard about, is the pain now? going to be is that pain shorter or less painful than the pain of sticking out for another 10 years and then having the same conversation so not only is that that not boredom but just that unfulfillment in your life for that long period of time knowing that you just have to kind of do it you're forced to do it because you went to uni and you graduated then you had to go in the system you're then in a churn and that eating away at me was was something that I couldn't bear with. So I decided just to like take the plunge and hit that upfront pain for long-term gain. Yeah. It's very similar to the, the risk reward dynamic that we all face as entrepreneurs, you know, it's, it's a constant evaluation of risk. And, you know, as you spend longer in this game, a lot of people become more comfortable with risk. Their tolerance for risk goes up and they become uh, better skilled at evaluating which risk and reward is worth taking the lunge on. So I think Having that early ability to, to make a decision, to pull the trigger, has been you know, influential into to the career you've had right now. I think that's very cool. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you go from this into a heavy sales gig, right? Where you're making a ton of cold calls, which is brutal to say the least. Um, explain to me how the pain of deciding to let go of that career and then the pain of picking up a heavy sales role you know and how how that kind of dynamic went about well look i fundamentally believe that every single one of us needs to start off in a sales role because you learn the power of persistence determination grit hustle and what no really means you get to have a dialogue not just with yourself but with someone that's on the end of the phone, you really have to understand that dynamic, that tone of voice. You have to kind of play out the type of day that they've had up until you calling them. And no doesn't mean no, it just means not yet. So going from university, school, into, I guess, the deep end of a cold calling sales. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, role was interesting to say the least now I think school and university looking back hindsight's a beautiful thing is relatively easy you know you rock up um, around nine o'clock you work for a few hours you know, and you all your friends are there you know it's not particularly tough then you when you hit the real world you're like okay now I've got some 
real real shit to to answer for. I have to get stuff done. And rock, rocking up to this sales role was what job was incredible because I worked for a large large national company. Um, so I was uh, selling advertising space within newspapers and for the Daily Mail group. So this was a, just give you some context, was around the time when online, digital, Facebook was kind of starting out. So I was there trying to sell newspaper ads in the dawn of a digital age. So already tough. Now, the beauty of going into a large company like this was the sales training they give you. Now they know the process. So they give you the tools, they give you training, and they're willing to spend two, three, four weeks with you to nurture you and to coach you into becoming the salesperson that they believe you can be. Now naturally, through the application process, they know you have to have some sort of tenacity, that sort of bite, that spark that will they can nurture. So yeah, went into this sales role and you're, you're tasked with making calls and learning how to understand the feelings, the emotions, and the scarcity of the sale. You're selling, I'm selling a weekly newspaper. So if that client doesn't place their ad at that point, they're not, they're not in the ad that, they're not even in the newspaper that week. You're, they're not able to be visible to their potential clients. So you have to play that scarcity trick week in, week out, new clients, nurture existing clients, get them spending more, and uh, it was it was good fun because you're always you're against yourself you know you, one week one day you did 100 calls the next day you try and do 110 then 120 i oh, actually probably pushing out 120 wasn't right because you weren't on the phone enough you sounded like you were trying to get to the next call so then you learned that maybe number of calls wasn't the way to do it is more about the engagement and the quality of the call are you getting through to the right person you know like 75 percent of the time you're 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 having to get past the gatekeeper and exactly every, and the rest. Yeah. Every single one of us, um, needs to start out in a sales position, especially cold calling because the dynamic of you being in front of someone is so much easier than being over the phone. So get, I would recommend any founder, anyone, no, sod founder, actually every single person get a sales job because you, it, it crafts you, it makes you deliver better, pitches you everyone's always selling even when you get pushed out as a baby you start crying. every aspect of life yeah I, I think it's very interesting like my my evolution my first sort of role in this startup world we were we had an insurance product um that we were primarily trying to sell into the u.s right it was a very attractive u.s for the u.s market um and i was in there making sales calls starting at six in the afternoon, six in the evening, right? That's when my sales calls began, right? And anyone will tell you sales call is an energy game, right? You have a really short window to get somebody's attention for them to be open to a 45 second conversation max, you know, and being able to, from literally the way they say hello, make a judgment and an evaluation on the type of energy pocket that they're going to be receptive to is one of the most valuable skills an entrepreneur can can develop right understanding that if i'm speaking to a 65 year old woman 
the energy space that I need to be delivering the pitch, delivering the content is totally different than if I'm speaking to a 21-year-old male, right? Or somebody who has a tech background compared to somebody who has a sales background, right? You have to become extremely sophisticated in understanding in what way are they going to be responsive to the message that I'm trying to put on the table. You know, I think cold calls are a great way to purely through volume and through quick no's and, you know, not even quick yeses, but just extended conversations becoming a positive outcome and refining that way. I think it's the fastest learning curve that you can give a founder. For sure. Because in that role, if you're not any good, you're out. You, <laughs> you're the, you're, you're yeah. then making calls to get another job. Like Exactly. <laughs> at that level, when you're in at the bottom, you, you have to understand that it's a ladder. No one just steps on the first run and stays there for the rest of the life. That's not how it works. You're at the beginning and you know you need to step up, up your game every single time and you climb that ladder and you consistently put that skill, that knowledge, that value into your tool set and you become more valuable, you get paid more, et cetera, et cetera. You get more better opportunities, you climb up and then at the top, you're at the penthouse, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got a sunset view. That's the end game, right? That's it. Exactly. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's jump into Liquid Proof. Um, I want to get a taste for the light bulb moment for bringing this vision to life that would end up seeing you in with some of the biggest retailers winning global awards, dragon slaying. Before this whole journey began, what was the problem that you were trying to solve with Liquid Proof and how did you go about getting that first version of the product out of the door? Yeah, for sure. So I, after I left um directly before liquor proof I was, I was a headhunter okay so i was working in the city french church avenue um outside the lawyers building i was placing insurance brokers and underwriters into new positions and um again on the phone having to 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 find people and find roles um that people didn't know existed right so you're taking quality people out of businesses while they're working, you know, you're making a call into them while they're sat amongst their team and trying to headhunt them out of there. It's, 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 again, that's another dynamic and a call that you have to you have to play very well. Um, so onto the problem. I, at that point, I was earning quite a bit of money. I always wanted to look good. You need to look good in this space. Your first impressions are everything in this space. And mm -hmm. I don't know 100%. who said it, but you only have one chance to make a first impression. So I was out there spending a lot of money on suits. Uh, really nice ties and uh, expensive shoes. You know, I spend three, four hundred pound on a pair of suede shoes. Um, and if it's hard not to, man. There we go. It's hard not to. There's nothing like a new pair of shoes making you feel like a bad motherfucker. Exactly. <laughs> you look good, you feel good, and you do good. That's true. So yeah. I'm out there with my power suit on, <clears throat> placing these guys, making money. And I don't know, um, wherever the listeners are, if, if you've ever visited London, it doesn't s stay dry for very long. <laughs> so when you're wearing suede shoes and a nice suit and it starts pouring down and you're at, stuck in the office, you're out of the office, you're getting, I would ruin these suits, okay? I'd ruin the pair of shoes um, and that broke my heart. So there is nothing worse than turning up to say a client meeting, looking a shambles, you know, like soaking wet shoulders, drip oh, through. The hair, uh, mate. Yeah, you, you look like a wet mess, so they don't want to do business yeah. with a wet mess. No one wants to yeah. do business with a wet mess. So <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, what products are out here that 
I can use to prevent this. Um, yes, there's umbrellas, but you you don't always carry around an umbrella. You, you know, you're in and out of in and out of um, client meetings and businesses and bits and pieces. You're not always going to have a brolly on you, and the weather can change like that over here. So, um, I was looking at these aerosol products, these protector products that are on the market, and they're so toxic. Like I hated the smell of it and they didn't work very well so most of these aerosols generally last anywhere from three three days to maybe two weeks they have a they have a very strong potent chemical smell and uh, for me that just i hated that you know i i think every single one of us probably has a can of that under our sink somewhere mm -hmm. that we, yeah. we used once tried it once didn't work laid it down yeah exactly so and i'm passionate about the environment and i knew that these things weren't good you read the back of the can it says um toxic can instantly kill um harmful. <laughs> it says harmful to aquatic life so we're letting kids use this yeah we let kids use this this is this is the thing i'm like how am i putting this the very products we're buying to protect the items are damaging the items and ourselves so the moment was really simply can i create a product that I like and lives up to my expectations and isn't damaging to the environment. So I looked, scoured the whole internet, bought products from all over the world. Turns out didn't exist. Spent quite a bit of money finding this information and being a headhunter, you have ways and means of finding, finding information online. Um, so I started looking at the, a bit more into this situation, this problem. And I realized that fashion is a huge polluter to the planet. I don't know if you know, but fashion is the second largest polluter to the planet after oil and gas. So I was like, wow, okay, this problem is bigger than myself. Maybe if I can create a product that solves that problem, then I'd be doing a good thing. So I spoke to some old friends from uh, university, put me in touch with um, a laboratory, and essentially we collaborated, we worked together to co-create a non-toxic eco-friendly protector spray so this is again at the time when e-commerce was becoming quite big so shipping products from you could yeah order something online you get it shipped next day now these aerosol products were starting to get uh, problems because essentially they're flammable mini bombs and when you're shipping this all over the world that's a problem storage constraints so i was thinking okay i don't want to be creating an aerosol because that's toxic and I'm going to have problems with a delivery over the world if I want to create a direct-to-consumer digital e-commerce brand. Um, so we developed a product which was liquid-proof. It was the world's first eco-friendly, non-toxic, odorless, non-flammable, completely invisible protector spray that when you sprayed it onto your clothes or your garments, any material, it will repel stains. So, boom, we had... We had done it. We'd created the product. We created liquid proof. It took me probably like two weeks to come up with the name. I, you know, spurred out loads of types of names and what to <laughs> do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, eventually came up with 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 the product with the name liquid proof. We were the protector product, and quickly disrupted the market. You know, I launched this product over Instagram. Um, this is someone that's never started a business myself. Didn't know wholesale retail product e-commerce mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i just learn it on the job i just 
built my first website, connected with people on the Instagram. This was a start when you could tag people on Instagram, like businesses, and they would respond. Yeah. See, this is the golden era, man. This is when Instagram, the commercial side of Instagram for influencers and for collaborations, you caught it right at the curve where it almost had the organic ability to tag in major players in the space, major brands. And I think that is such a crucial part in helping any young company scale, you know, is getting it out there, getting exposure, getting endorsement. While we were doing R&D on the product, I was actually reading a lot of entrepreneurial books. You know, one of the biggest books that shaped my mindset and really changed my mindset from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Incredible book and what's not to like about the title of that book. So I read that and was completely consumed by it. I was like, right, okay. Now, surround myself with successful people. Don't reinvent the wheel. Success leaves clues and visualize where you're going to be. So this was all happening while the product hadn't even landed on my doorstep yet. Yeah. I was then in in a space where, okay, I knew I could figure this out if I gave it enough time and the resources were out there. So I just, I guess one of the skills, if you call it a skill, was having the ability to have a growth mindset and understand that every day is a school day and just learn. Like if you don't know something, try it. I'm very much a believer of, you're going to learn quickly if you're doing. Yeah. You learn far quicker by doing than reading. So yes, I was reading at night, listening to podcasts, audio books, consumed a load of content and knowledge and experience. I just took snippets of that and applied it to my day to day. And I knew that I had to make it work because otherwise I'd be back into, <laughs> back into a job. You know, I was at this time, I was still at my headhunting job. So I was uh, doing this during lunch hours, like any spare time. And um, so I was just grafting. Um, sales is the big one because without sales, you don't have a business. I think I think a lot of entrepreneurs in this day and age, especially, um, don't know how to make money. They know how to raise money. They know how to, they know how to create value, but they don't know how to sell, sell and make money. So from the start, I knew I had to sell more than I spent. I so there was no to... raise initially to fulfill orders. This was all organic. Correct. So I had personal money. So my savings went into starting the business, bootstrapped it, worked with an old friend from, from school that was a creative guy. He was into his sneakers and he was using a competitive product at the time. So I basically did a bit of market research with him and said, um, what do you think of the product? How about you give my one a try and let me know how you feel. Get Just have it, try it. Um, and I'll, And by the way, I'm looking for some really cool design, packaging. If you're in at the start, we're on this huge journey. We're going to disrupt this market. And he was, he was game. He was up for it. He was like, you know what? This is an incredible product. Um, how did you come up with it? I'd love to help. So he started doing the, the logo design and the labeling and, and uh, helped us curate a lot more content because he had some really premium sneakers that we would then treat and throw loads of liquids all over them, create content and then distribute that over the internet, social media. So a skill, I guess, I really want to try and give you listeners value, but my, I think the biggest play that's quite broad is 
make sure that you always are a student. Be a student of life for life. For an early startup, the most powerful thing that you have is your story, right? Particularly when it's an early phase of a product, you know, it's not always, particularly when it's a digital product, which is more the world that I come from. The MVP is never the dream that you imagined of your vision. You know, this is the fundamentals of the, the proposition you're looking to put on the table and you're hoping that someone can taste the vision, you know, and your story around that vision is so powerful in, in having people buy in to the mission and what you're trying to do. So what I want to get a taste for is the way that you are telling the story of the product, of the mission, of the purpose behind the products that then got the attention and eventually the buy-in from these major brands that you managed to lock on so quickly. Yeah, so you're right. The, you know, the first couple of iterations of Liquid Proof wasn't, didn't look sexy. You know, the bottle wasn't amazing. It was hand-labeled. <laughs> you know, I did the labeling, the filling. And, um, but I had complete and utter faith. And the, the brilliant thing with Liquid Proof is that the product really works. It's fantastic. It really was a great product. That's one thing I need to obviously share is that there is, you, you're going to succeed if you build a great product. Okay. If you solve a, a big enough problem, it's everything is in your hands then on. And you now need to, as you say, tell a story of why you're here, why that product is going to help that person and solve their problems. Cause it's not about you anymore. It's about them. So I rocked up to this first initial meeting and you're still, everything's learned again, it's a learning curve, right? So this first meeting, I'm not, I haven't honed it down. I haven't got the story fully, fully on just yet. Yeah. So I'm just going in there. This kind of, you know, you know, I was what, 25 and I was just like, look, I've created this product and it's just awesome. And the reason, so I kind of was telling the stories, like I said to the, to the listeners earlier was I had this problem. You look at all the products that you currently sell they are toxic. They don't, they don't work. And, it, and rather than me telling him, I said, how do you feel about the product you currently use? Oh, I, I don't like the smell of it. All oh, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's because it's this chemical and that's carcinogenic. That actually can cause you cancer. I don't know if you know. Oh, right. No, I didn't know that. It's like, yeah, you know, they don't have to put this on the side of the can. <laughs> and how long do you, how well do you feel it repels stains? It works all right at the start, but you know, it really quickly wears off. You don't really know if it's still on there or not on there. It's a bit of a pain. So I'm, I'm just kind of get diving into their pain points. They're telling me the problems they're having with their existing product line. Yeah. And I just... The human truths. Yeah. You know, I think any founder that is going into the market and trying to sell a product, the biggest mistake you can make is talk features. You know, it does this, it does that. And you end up spending five, 10 minutes talking about what it does. I think there needs to be much more of a focus around what human truth are you solving right now? The features will speak for themselves. You know, you need to put someone in a position of pain that they've experienced before, tell it to them in a way that has that emotional connection with them. It's a scenario. It's a this, it's a that, where they can feel it as if they were there yesterday. Then you start talking about the features. Okay. Now this is the uh, problem we've identified. I'm solving it in X, Y, and Z way, which has never been done before. And that is really the art to, to getting interest, but also getting engagement 
when you're pitching. You know, this is an entertainment business when you're selling. You know, if people, someone switches off when you're talking about your fourth feature, oh, I can share it here, I can share it there, whatever. If they're not emotionally bought into what you're trying to, trying to sell, you might as well be talking to a wall. So having that emotional play of how do you feel about what you're selling right now? Your brand is all over this. How do you feel about it? You know, let them discover it for themselves. Self-discovery is beautiful. Exactly, because you're, no one buys features and benefits. People buy feelings and emotions and, and can it solve a problem? And the problem is a painful one to me. So can I stop that pain? And there's like current pain, future pain, and you can just, you can leverage off of that. I want to understand the first pitch. I want to understand how you learn from that experience. I visualize how this meeting's going to go. I'm going to walk in there, powerful, strong, good breathing technique. You know, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to start off with trying to understand what this guy is about. Am I going to look around the room and see, is he a golfing fan? Does he have kids? Is there coffee on the table like let's try and see if there's anything i can latch on to to humanize this contact yeah you know i want to touch on breathing right so you just mentioned breathing techniques and this is one of the things that has shifted my ability um to compose myself before execution whether it's a pitch whether it's uh the first 10 15 seconds of a meeting right i want to understand what the breathing techniques that you use are how it's benefited you and the, the situations that you use it, because it's not just that moment of sales, you know, it's so much more than that, but having the ability to stabilize breath and then just carry a, a momentum and building breath into the way that you talk is so essential, you know? So I really want to dig into that. And I think that's going to be valuable for a lot of founders in, in the start of their journey. Yeah. And look, I want to say, thanks, Charlie. When I get into these moments where I'm just splurting out all this information it's because it's normal for me now like it's just part part of this part of the process like it's inbuilt and it's automatic so I like how you're kind of trying to draw out this value so breathing is life okay you stop breathing you're dead <laughs> so it's super important now that importance comes into how you're breathing now many of us for a minute imagine how you feel before a big presentation before you've ever if you've ever stepped on stage or before you're about to be on camera or even say some athletes out there just before you're about to run a big race how, how are you feeling how is your heart rate how how is your breathing and what happens with a lot of founders in the early stage of, of their career is that they feel unsettled, but they don't understand why, right? And it's, yes, it is caused by nerves and everybody still experiences nerves. It's, you know, nerves don't really go away. You start to manage them differently. But having control over the way you breathe and the way you set yourself up and continue to breathe with a pattern completely changes your ability to deliver content. For sure. So just before a big moment, your shortness of breath, yeah. <laughs> You, mm -hmm. you can't you're, you're almost like stumbling. You're, you're stumbling through yeah your adrenaline is pumping your energy is like heightened your brain is racing you can't quite connect the dots mm -hmm. you, you know you have suddenly had all this whole story planned out you know i had my script i knew what i was going to say the product was right and you start that's <laughs> 10 seconds of the toughest you jump in and stuff and then so what you need yeah. to do is and i've actually created a step by a four-step process for this 
it's called bold and what I can do if you if you want um, I can link out and give it to to your listeners for free um, amazing which is how cool is that thank you no no problem look it's all about value here so mm. it's a I say bold because it's a four-step process in in managing that anxiety that fear I guess it's overcoming fear is kind of what we so breathing is important because breath is life if you can observe your breathing you slow it down you go back to a controlled state so time slows down and if we can do that you're back in control you can kind of hold the reins a little bit on yourself so bold the way I say it stands for and this is a workshop and and a process that I use a methodology I use to overcome fear bold step first is breath so you're breathing, get that down, long, hard, slow breaths, usually out for five, in for five. That will help you focus better and put you in a put you in a place where you're in control again. The O stands for observe. So take yourself outside of your body and look at your how you are physically standing. So once your breathing's in order, how you're looking is in order. You you look bold, basically. That's what I try and say is you you stand with a bold physique or you sit in a in a strong position um, you also observe your surroundings what's the other person doing on the other side of the stage or you know on the table or who you're presenting to um, just take that moment to observe that also then slows down the whole process your whole sales pitch sometimes you can be in stumbling around you really want to observe what you're doing and how you're acting and, and the people around you. L stands for listen. So many of us don't listen. We just wait for a space to speak. And when you listen, you're understanding what the other person is saying far better than normal. And, and that sounds weird in saying that you need to listen. Yeah, I listen. Uh, but do you actually listen? Are you listening yeah. to what the person's saying? How they're saying it? How what? they're saying it. Thank you. It's about how they say it. Because the words are fluff a lot of the time, right? And there's, it, you're going to hear the same stuff. You're a startup. You're going to hear the same stuff all the time. You know, come back to us when you've locked in X amount of investment or come back to us in six months time. Keep in touch. You need to understand that the way someone is delivering the message from a body language perspective, from a tone of voice, is so much of a truer indicator than the words coming out of their mouth. For sure, Charlie. Look, I don't know who said it um, or who created what study it was from. And all I need to, all, basically, the reason I don't try and understand who said it and what said it is because that's not what matters. It's what the content is and what it does. But human communication is 70% body language and something like 17% tonality and the rest is actually what you say. So, you know, a tiny portion of is what you actually say. How you say it is the biggest piece of the pie. So listen to what the other person is saying, understand it, really absorb what they're saying and how you can come back. Then the D, the final letter in bold 
is deliver, is do. You have to, you have to do it. Okay, so um, follow that process. That will help uh, everyone and anyone overcome any fear, but also put you in the right position to deliver your best self. Yeah, I love that. And uh, something that I I used to use a lot more than I do now, but it was just a really interesting miniature process that that shaped me it was called the five second rule have you heard about the five second rule hit me up okay so the five second rule is the idea that if you count backwards from five your brain doesn't have the capacity to process anything else right because it's it's not a natural process it's not like going one two three four five it's so routine that you can do a million other things whilst reciting that but going backwards for some reason puts your brain into a state where that's all it can do. Once you hit zero, physically move, right? Physically do your pitch, physically go and say hi to that person at the networking event, right? Because you can get so in your heads with this whole thing and being able to find a moment of peace, a moment of silence before you then go and execute something that is something that is creates nerves within you. That silence is so powerful, man. You know, so and particularly for networking, where I know for a lot of founders who all of a sudden have to jump into this networking scene where you're going saying hello to 15, 20 strangers in a night. You know, it's a very daunting process for a lot of people. Okay, cool. So we're going to move this on to the last bit of of the show, which is some quick fire questions. If you could tell 19 year old Jana one thing about this game, one piece of advice, what would it be? Be a student of life for life a student of life for life okay very cool very cool i like that um something that you're known for saying in a lot of the talks that you give and pitches is that you need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable i want to explore that a little bit more and understand what it means to you um, and what you hope it means to others so i think we covered it quite a bit in the conversation charlie and you're you're you live this day in day out. So what I mean by being comfortable with being uncomfortable is you become stronger through struggle. Okay, you when you go to the gym, that those first reps that every time you go to the gym and lift heavy weights, you're breaking down yourself. It's uncomfortable. You're never going to get big and strong by reading about doing press ups or lifting weights. Okay, you have to go and do it and this is applicable to everything it's the hard work is how you become successful how you get to the next level but many people don't understand that that uncomfortable phase of that unknowing that struggle that hustle that grind is part of success too many people try to skip that and go straight to the successful part and that's not how it works so as soon as you understand that you need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable the better because then you can just put yourself in these positions to continuously bet yourself. And and it's it, you're in a better position. You become a stronger entrepreneur, stronger founder, stronger father, stronger leader, stronger team player. But growth, right? Get yourself uncomfortable, grow through it. You know, I think that's, that's a really powerful, positive message. Okay, who has had the biggest impact on you as an entrepreneur and how have they impacted you? Oh, that's a good question. There's a, there's a few people, but I think 
I'd say Jim Rohn for his leadership, his mentorship and the way he kind of distills the fundamental principles of life and that you must have values in life. And um, I think that has really helped me shape my mind in how I look at things from a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. If we're talking about a closer person, like someone that I've actually met and been in touch with, um, probably Gary Vaynerchuk and his dedication to doing, his his authenticity and his transparency and, and his empathy for, for other people. I love his whole demeanor that he is you know he's not afraid of hustling grinding putting that work in you always see him working like he's not fancy in what he does and he what i love about him is he just does it like he tries it he doesn't give a shit about the outcome and um he'll tell you like he'll tell you straight on what to do um so i i think yeah gary's also helped me shape very humble guy He's very humble. You don't see him with fancy watches, yeah. nice cars, uh, big mansions. You don't necessarily see all that. Whether he keeps it private or he's just not that type of guy. Yeah. It's it's true, but he's 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 a doer. What I love about Gary Vee is he does it. And that's going to define anyone. The, most, the reason between you and your goals or your success or where you want to get to is the action. Many people dream about dream up about these good plans or ideas they you know create a fucking business plan that's so <laughs> 80 pages so long detailed. yeah but they don't go and do it like you are able to to learn far more and create far more value by doing nice okay so the last one um before we leave you and thank you very much for spending this amount of time with us is the biggest lesson that you've learned through a failure that failures lead to success. That's the biggest lesson that I've learned from a failure is that failures lead to success. It, it always comes with the win. Yeah, failures always come before success. Look it up in a dictionary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On that nugget right there, failure becomes before success in the dictionary. We are going to wrap things up. Jana, thank you so much for spending time with us. This was very cool. Uh, I can't wait to grab a coffee with you when this whole lockdown situation is is lifted. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to it, Charlie. Thanks so much um, for putting me on. Um, I really uh, got a lot out of you. Great energy. And yeah, let's, let's grab that coffee. All right, let's do it. I'm down. Cheers, buddy.